Welcome to the Metron Manager Podcast. Thank you for joining us as we work to recover the dignity and mission of vocation. Learn more at metronmanager.com. Okay, welcome to the Metron Manager Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Nowlin. Today, we have an opportunity to talk with a man of many talents. Paul Golf is deeply committed to the kingdom of God, and he's a champion of hope in this broken world. You know, in fact, Paul and his wife, Grace, founded a ministry called Champions of Hope. He's an academic, an author, researcher, linguist, and spiritual leader who's equipping believers to see the world through the lens of hope and discover spiritual solutions for every challenge. He is a co-author of the book, The Coming Chinese Church. In addition, he's a program director of translation studies at Bristol University and a research associate with Oxford House Research. So, wow, I think that about covers it. Welcome to the program, Paul. Hi, Jonathan. Great to be with you. Yeah, it's exciting to have you on today. This is pretty significant stuff we're going to cover today, and I really appreciate your input. You know, we connected recently and really resonated around this concept of hope and how we discover heavenly solutions, we could say, for secular issues in the world. And I want to get to that, but first, tell me about your journey. Let our audience know kind of where you came from, how you got to where you're at right now. Oh, it's, it's always a how long is a piece of string question, isn't it? That is, yes. <laughs> okay, um, I'll, I'll, I'll try and keep it real sort of brief with the headlines. Um, so I've been involved in church ministry for a long time. I actually started preaching in my mid-teens wow. when I became a Christian, uh, was involved in detached youth work, street outreach. In fact, I used to take a PA system into the center of the of, of the city and, and do the street corner. Thing. Oh, good for you. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, very old school. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the detached youth work stuff was doing a lot of that. Um, really felt a call to ministry very early on, uh, but it didn't happen in the conventional way that I thought it would. I thought I'd go to a Bible college, study theology, become a pastor, um, those sorts of things. And I really felt the Holy Spirit interrupt that and very, very directly say to me, uh, that's not what you're to do. Instead, you're to go and study Chinese. Wow. Which was totally left field. I'd never studied Chinese, had never had anything to do with China. And so that's so why I thought maybe it was maybe it was really God because it was so kind of out there. That's amazing. Uh, so I uh, I did I, I ended up um, I studied uh, my undergraduate Chinese studies actually. So it's the language plus the culture. In fact, my undergraduate dissertation you'll probably laugh at this was in eleventh century the, the philosophy of art in and eleventh century monochrome landscape painting. Wow, China. So um, <laughs> nothing like specific targets, right? I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Always makes me laugh thinking back to that one. In fact, on my my Patreon ministry page, uh, which is a, a recent thing uh, that I set up earlier this year, the main background picture for that is the is from the artists that I focused on in my my undergraduate uh, time. So I did Chinese. I did uh, Chinese with Tibetan. So I also studied Central Tibetan. Oh, fantastic! With, uh, monks okay. from from the government in exile. Uh, that was 
quite an experience as well. Wow. Um, I've never had cause to use my Tibetan. It's extraordinarily rusty. But if you want to know how to ask directions for the circumambulation of the Lingkor pilgrimage, I can tell you <laughs> in Tibetan because it's funny the things that you remember. Um, so uh, I, did, I did that and um, continued, spent, spent some time in China studying with that as well. C- continued being very involved with the church at the time, different ministry things, uh, started getting invites to travel and preach w- while I was a student as well around in the UK. Uh, after finishing that, I went into business and kind of was doing business and ministry together and was doing that for a couple of years, found I really didn't know enough about business and I didn't feel entirely comfortable. I felt quite out of my depth in doing that. So I went back, did my postgraduate uh, training, majoring in interpreting and translations. I, I okay. interned in the United Nations in Vienna for um, the, the interpreting. You know, like if you've seen the film The Interpreter right. with, uh, what's her name, Nicole Kidman. Mm. That's actually a really accurate film. Wow. You know, for, if anyone's worked with interpreters uh, or worked as an interpreter, you know, it's, it's a well-researched film. So huh. that was kind of the thing that, that I trained to do. And then after that, I got offered a job in the, in the university that I did my postgraduate in. And uh, I, I was then it started to kind of diversify into multiple things. So I, um, I've been in the, the university ecosystem for about 15 years now um, and the ministry world for 20 plus years. And uh, on and off, I've been involved in church leadership. And people sometimes ask, you know, what church are you from? And, and really, we're, we're ecumenical, you know, I mean, we, we're right. sort of, uh, in, in, indiscriminate. We'll, we'll work, work with anyone. Um, I, I, we always say, actually, our one rule is, uh, it's the no offense rule, which is we, we don't take offense and you don't take offense. Like right. if, there's, if there's a problem that comes up, we agree to work it out. Uh, otherwise, oh, that's really good. That's really the only non-negotiable. Otherwise, we'll, we'll work with pretty much anyone. Uh, but um, have had most experience in Pentecostal, charismatic, what we call third wave churches here in the UK. Um, oh, I interesting. Be, uh, in, in, in the US context, I suppose that might look like... Um, new apostolic reformation type churches or vineyard movement or those oh, kind okay. of um, organizations. Uh, but, but really um, we, we lived in an Anglican seminary for a while uh, and of course some trouble there in a good way, um, <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> um, and I've been, been involved on the China side. Uh, you mentioned about the, the book, the coming Chinese church yeah. It's out of date, but it is available on okay. Amazon if people want it. Uh, we interviewed um, tons of, underground church leaders all across China to give us their story of what really happened. And okay. to, to give you a kind of headline from that, our best statistics say that in 1949, there were 100,000 Christians in China. And in 2009, there were 100 million. And that's using the Chinese government's own statistics. Yeah, so we wrote the story of how did that actually happen? Because we were coming across so many misconceptions about what China is and what right. the church in China represents. And many things were written from a Western perspective and uh, I guess I have a Western perspective, but all the information in the book has come from interviews with people who are uh, on on the ground. Many of them carried out by my my co-author, uh, Reverend Lee, who's Malaysian Chinese. Okay. Um, so I worked with him for a while. Uh, Love China International. We were supporting the Chinese Church, um, and that organization evolved into a, a charity called Noble Tree Foundation, which I chaired for a while. And this is going to sound like a total non sequitur, but (laughs) it would be a long story to go into why it makes sense. But 
it, it, it does, believe me. Um, so that, that charity actually focused on solving the housing crisis in the UK. Okay. And we saw, uh, really, we're looking at all these systemic issues that were going on within housing. How do you even begin to solve it and address these problems? Uh, it's so multi-layered. Yeah. And we came across or, or came up with um, a way of leveraging the budgets and corporate social responsibility funds from say right. pension funds or hedge funds, le- leveraging those to take over large amounts of freeholds for properties. And then the charity would get granted the leaseholds by the, the CSR funds. And then we'd use those to house vulnerable groups, uh, refugees, women fleeing domestic abuse, uh, veterans, Wow, and um, and ex-offenders, you know, p- people coming out of prison, and when I left that charity, uh, still on great terms with the charity, I, I, I felt my time was done there um, about eighteen months ago, and we had gone from having about twenty thousand US dollars in the bank to probably having about twenty-five million in in assets wow. US within a twelve-month period. And That's that was amazing. How everything kind of opened. It was it was incredible, really how that all just took off after many years of really fighting with the system and trying to find a way in. And, yeah. uh, and, and now that, that charity is um, housing people, you know, who, who don't have homes. And there's a long, a much longer journey to be sure. had with that, a long way to go, but it was doing, uh, uh, doing something. So um, for me, you know, it's, uh, it's always been, uh, I've always felt called to remain connected with the church and to input into the church of or churches of all shapes and sizes, you know, um, as I said, we're, we're quite ecumenical. Yeah. Uh, e- even attended an Orthodox church for a while. That was the, the, perhaps the furthest away from, you, you know, you've got the kind of crazy Pentecostal charismatic on one <laughs> side of the Orthodox on the other um, and, and things in between. Um, but have always been, you know, I, I, Jonathan, I, I, I really like to summarize it like this. I've always been driven by this passion to see Jesus turn up in places he's not supposed to be. If you can imagine, yeah, absolutely. Around that. Places Jesus is not supposed to be. So I've all, always sought those places out, whether it's been through church-based ministry or whether it's been through business or charity or academic work. I, I just like to get out of my my bubble. I always think as long as I stay right. in my bubble, I can get institutionalized very quickly, and I'm only able to hear one type of conversation that the Holy Spirit is having with. A, a very narrow demographic of people. Sure. So I, I'm like, well, there's hundreds of other groups of people out there all having their own conversations with the Holy Spirit. Whether they realize it or not, the Holy Spirit's conversing with them. And I want to go and eavesdrop on those conversations and learn and really go in as, as a learner and as a witness. And witness meaning somebody who sees something rather than someone who says something. You know, I, uh, I, I want to see Jesus in those situations, what is it you're actually doing there? You know, Jesus said the son can only do what he sees the father doing. That's what he, he embodied. So I'm thinking, well, I, I, I want to see what you're doing. And then maybe I've got, maybe I've got the opportunity to participate. Amen. That's like the definition of living on mission in the way that we would talk about it in the ministry. I do, you know, how did you guys, you and your wife, you know, how did you arrive at starting this ministry champions of hope? Can you give us a little backstory on that and how that happened? So my wife and I met when I was in uh, senior church leadership um, about 10 years ago now, and she was uh, leading ministry trips from 
uh, a church in the U.S. So they're, they're in Northern California. Um, she's British, but she was out there for a number of years and was working with that ministry. So she was leading teams of students who were coming from the ministry school into okay. Europe. And I was hosting teams, basically. I, I, you know, in our church, we'd become a contact point. And, um, and we met, um, we met at, at that point. And she ended up moving back to the UK, kind of started her own ministry at that time. And I'd been ministering for years in the UK myself. And uh, so I, we kind of were sort of had, I, I guess professional is not really the right word, but it's kind of a professional ministry type friendship, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, to begin with. And then and then very quickly that that, that turned into more and, you know, we, um, we, we got married. And actually, even before we got married, we started ministering together. We kind of joined those two worlds up. And so that was Champions of Hope. So okay. what's, the, what's the name that we, we should go around under? And she was mentored by a guy called uh, Steve Backland, whose ministry was Igniting Hope. And it was ironic because that's the name I wanted to call the ministry, but I, I hadn't heard of that particular ministry. Okay. <laughs> and, and then I came, I came to know Steve Backland through my wife and his ministry, Igniting Hope. And it's like, oh, he, he got there first with the name. So yeah. we, we ended up on, um, on Champions of Hope. And it's hope was the focus because I felt that, especially in the UK context, hope is really what this nation, it's in the DNA, it's in the soil of this nation, is mm. hope. But it's not in the mentality of so many people. You know, if you think about British humour, is very negative, self-deprecating, sure. very, you know, just negative in, in many ways. And it's interesting to see how cynicism and apathy and alienation has set in really after, since the Second World War hmm. in this country. And when I look at Jesus, he's all about hope. In fact, I, I love that, you know, there's that scripture, these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And it says the greatest of these is love. And of course, we've got other scriptures. The only thing that counts is faith working through love. Usually, we major on these two, talking sure. about faith and love. However, there is this one verse in Colossians that says, but the faith and love spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven. So I really came to see hope as heaven's it's, it's emergent and generating force. You know, hope is the force that generates the faith and the love. Okay. And hope is, if hope remains eternally on into the new heavens and the new earth, then it can't just be about, oh, I, I'm looking forward to a, a future that's better than this one because it's the new heavens and the new earth. Hope must be about the ability to conceive and dream of new things and to innovate and have a sense of of constant childlike excitement, emergent excitement about the future. And that kind of spiritual force has a way of engendering faith, sparking faith and love in people. And, and by contrast, if people are really struggling on the faith and love front, one of the first things that I think you get, you start to observe is that the hope level begins to go, hmm. like people's world starts to shrink. It starts to really become about, well, I'm just trying to make it through the day. Right. And there's a positive sense about being present, you know, in the moment and not being so overly focused on the future. And I, I'm, I'm all in favor of that mystical angle too. But it's when it, you start feeling, I, I can't even, I don't have the bandwidth to be able to accommodate anything other than just survival. You know, that's when hope is getting squeezed out. And it's hard to live in faith and love and to live for others and to be on that beyond mission right. with Jesus when, when hope is so, uh, so compressed. So we, uh, we, everything we're doing is about ministering, a, a, 
inspiring hope and removing fear. That's fantastic. You know, I saw, you know, that you mentioned that you strive to live or speak in such a way that always sparks hope and removes fear. And I love that approach, you know, getting down to kind of the, to the ground level with that for people, you know, what does that look like in a day to day, like in, in your life, your work, your family, like what's an example of how you would approach that with that being the mindset? Well, I think that the remove fear one, that, that came to me when I, I was, um, some years ago, I, I, I would prayer walk. That's when I would do my, my sort of devotional time. Okay. I like to go on a walk and um, just talk to the Holy Spirit, process out things that I'm thinking, you know, maybe flick up the Bible app on my phone or something or listen, listen to a talk or worship or whatever. And one day I asked the Holy Spirit a question. I said, if I'm supposed to be a prophet, then what's my job? Hmm. And I heard an answer, and I, I think the answer was the Holy Spirit, because I don't think I would have come up with this answer. I think if you'd asked me to define what I thought a prophet should do, I would have come up with all sorts of things. But this is what I heard. Um, I, I heard uh, the phrase, your job is to remove fear. Amazing. And I thought, that's really interesting. Wow. Like, why is that the case? So I started to kind of chew it over. Like, why is that the case? What, what's the Holy Spirit getting at? I think it's the Holy Spirit. What, what's the Holy Spirit getting at? Yeah. And I went to those verses, you know, in, in the first epistle of John, it talks about God is love, which is this incredible statement, if you think about it. It doesn't say God is loving. Right. It says God is love. Like love is not one of God's attributes. That is the essence of who God is. Hmm. So, and, and it says, uh, the one who fears is not made perfect in love. Perfect love casts out all fear. So, as I was meditating on those scriptures, I, I felt I was having this kind of internal dialogue with the Holy Spirit about them. And the sense I had was really, well, if we're, we can prophesy about all sorts of things and from all kinds of different positions and perspectives, we can, we can calibrate our prophetic voice. But if we are calibrated to the heart of God, the heart of God, the essence of the Trinity is love. And the essence of love that you, you can identify love because it is always removing fear. Perfect love casts out fear. So if the prophetic or any ministry or any action that we take, if that is emerging and cooperating from the heart of the Father, Son, and Spirit, then it's going to be characterized by delivering people from fear in every context. Amazing. Yeah. So that's where that came from. And then okay. the hope one was, as uh, you know, I mentioned that scripture from Colossians about hope being a generating force for, right. for, for faith and love, and also about dreaming and considering the world from a different perspective. And hope is like when Jonathan and his armor bearer, they, cl they climb up the cliff and say, well, if the, if the enemy s taunt us and say, come over here and fight us, then we'll know God's given them into our hands, so we're going to go. So they, they totally were like, yeah, we can, we can do this, even though there's only two of us. We know God's with us, and we're not limited in what we think God can do. And I think for me, I've, I've had a lot of experience, pastoral experience with people, lots of, lots of really, you know, a friend of mine once said to me, you know, there's some really nasty stuff out there, meaning nasty stuff that's happened to people, really yeah. terrible, tragic stories, you know, and I've seen just a, a little bit of that in from a pastoral point of view and, you know, counseling people, praying with them, consoling them, you know, believing with them when they're, they're, they're praying for, for a miracle in their family or, or, or what, whatever. And 
um, I found that um, in in that situation, it's easy to have. It's easy to know too much. It's easy to have experienced too much and think, well, there's all these reasons why it's not going to work. Hmm. All this, all these reasons why you're not going to see this answer to prayer. All these reasons why it's way too complicated to just solve it. And for me, one of the ways hope manifests is that whatever else is going on, or whatever other voices may be around me telling me why things are not going to work or why they're not going to work out well, I might say, okay, I, I accept all of those voices may have their own logic to them. But the, bo- the bottom line is ask and, you can ask and receive that your joy may be full. So I'm just going to ask Jesus. And all of that stuff has nothing to say to him. All of that stuff does not determine who he is and how he operates and how he responds. So regardless of how bad the situation looks, he's always got a plan and we can, we can just ask. And so for me, it's, it's reorienting to hope is to say, all right, it may have not worked the last 10 times, maybe not the last hundred, but maybe this time it's going to work. Right. And we're going to pray with that, with that posture of, a, a confident expectancy that something's good gonna something good is gonna happen, without feeling like we have to psych, psych ourselves up to make it happen. And, and I've done a lot with the faith movement, you know, and um, it, it's yeah, I've done a lot. And, <laughs> and sometimes that sometimes what happens in that kind of movement is it very much becomes this thing of well, if I can psychologically get myself so convinced that God's going to do something then when I pray, it will actually happen. And I'm like, forget trying to convince yourself. Like, you, your faith isn't going to do it anyway. It's Jesus's faith. Right. His faith is called the person of the Holy Spirit. The spirit of faith is living in you. So Holy Spirit's got more than enough faith to get the job done. You, you just need to get with the program. So <laughs> for me, I'm like, look, I'm not, I'm, not trying to, I'm not trying to be in perfect faith. I'm not trying to be perfectly correct. I'm just trying to participate and leave room for Jesus. And, that, and that's hope for me. Is to say that look, it doesn't matter how bad it is. He he, he can do a miracle, and even if it's not going to, even if that miracle doesn't happen in the way that we're expecting, something good is going to happen. Sure. So we can we can see it. We can get on board with it. And you know, maybe there's a hundred different ways this thing could play out. Uh, I'm I'm not trying to say it has to look a certain way, but I know that whatever way it's going to look, he's going to work it out. So let's get let's get on board with that and stay anchored in that that place of simplicity that, that yeah. place of hope and that helps me when i'm dealing with all kinds of complicated things as i and you do as well it helps me to just recalibrate back to yeah but jesus is really simple and the kingdom is really simple absolutely and it's it's uh it's really crucial i was thinking about this it really matters because you know we're designed as people but as believers especially to reproduce into the world what we are you know the life inside us becomes the culture around us and in some manner, we're responsible for influence in a good sense. Like God wants to do that through us, bring life through us. And hope, if he can defeat hope, if the enemy defeats hope in our life, it's like we're not putting out positive God-focused Holy Spirit potential and influence. We become a conduit of things that are are unaligned with God and with heaven. So I feel it's, it's actually really crucial because one of the things I've observed is what defeats people the most in the body of Christ is this area of hope like if their hope goes down their hope level or their hope is put in the wrong thing uh that's really i see where we become uh ineffective in our lives have you observed things along that line 
I, I was I was going to ask you how um how you tend to approach tackling that actually, but but yeah, to answer your question, absolutely. I I mean I just to answer quickly. I, I think these three remain faith, hope, and love. Yeah, and hope is the generating force, at least a major generating force for faith and love. So uh, when that when there's a hope problem. Yeah, we could talk about joy in a similar way too. Right? When there's yeah. a joy problem, there's no strength. That's when right. there's a hope problem, there's no faith and love. It, it, your world gets shrunk back into yourself. But um, but how ha- how do you how do you engage that with people uh, in in all the different contexts that, you, that, that you're operating in? Uh, I think getting getting your mindset on the right uh, uh, the right destination, not fixing your eyes on things that are temporary, but on the things that are unseen, not the things that are seen. And also being very preoccupied with the character and nature of God in the middle of everything and not being preoccupied with the things of this world, even the bad things or the things that are distractions or alternative goods that aren't the best and really fixing our eyes on the Lord in the middle of the situation and expecting uh, the winds, so to speak, expecting the Lord to speak, expecting the right word, expecting the right outcome and moving in the direction in faith as if that's going to happen and not uh, setting a low bar or a low horizon for yourself or your life or for others with uh, being out of a place of hopelessness or a low view of God's uh, ability to work in and through you. That's generally how I would get back to it. Yeah, I, I really love that. Actually. And you said about having being being fixated on the character of God Amen. and fixing your eyes on the Lord. It made me think of that verse, uh, I think is it is it in Hebrews it says we have this hope that goes as an anchor beyond the veil. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I, I love that one because it also it's talking about being anchored in the unseen. You know, yeah. if it goes beyond the veil. It means it's, yeah. there's an anchoring in the unseen realm. So, yeah. what is the unseen reality that exists within and from the Father, Son, and Spirit, and how are we anchored into that? Like tethered to that reality and fed by the umbilical cord of that, of that <laughs> life and that goodness and that, that holy love and joy and peace. And I, I often find, you know, in, in doing inner healing, sort of listening yeah. prayer type things, uh, I, I like to do this sort of um, occasionally go back to those sort of rudimentary disciplines. Let's just ask that question. What, what lie am I believing today, Holy Spirit? Hmm. I'm not feeling good. What lie am I believing? And more often than not, I've, I've heard the same answer, which is you still think it depends on you. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and every time I hear that, it's like, oh, yeah, that's right. All, all the pressure's gone again. The, the burden's lifted. Yeah. Because it doesn't depend on me. And I, I think back to Jesus, you know, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm gentle and humble in heart. And my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Yeah. So I think, well, okay, let me try and take you seriously, Jesus, because I, I don't know about you, but I have a problem believing the Bible. <laughs> like when Jesus says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, like, I have a problem believing that. Because I'm like, but Jesus, how can it be so simple? Right. You know, is it really the case that if that burden is heavy and that yoke is difficult, then that's not yours? Simply put, I don't know whose it is, but it's not Jesus's. And in the midst of that, there's an invitation to say, okay, well, you can exchange whosoever one that is, wherever it came from, I don't know. You can exchange that for Jesus's one at any moment in time, whatever's going on, however bad the situation is, there's a constant invitation to say, hey, just swap yokes with me. You can have mine. It's easy and my burden is light. 
So I, I, I like to, that, that's, that's something I'm, I'm always thinking about when I'm preaching as well and trying to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in pitching grace according to the need of the moment for, yeah. for the people in the room or through the live stream or whatever it is. And I'm thinking about that, that, that lifting off, lifting off of burdens and heavinesses and limiting beliefs and all, all those things that weigh us down, you know, and Jesus is all about lifting us up, not weighing us down. That's right. You know, and the, getting this internally uh, sorted out in our own lives, living from hope towards the world around us, you know, really uh, is relevant. Kind of this next area I wanted to bring up, which is, you know, things start internal in our, in our lives. That's how God works on us, but it's internal uh, then to the external. So as you, as you kind of get into a lifestyle of hope and you really understand the character and nature of God and that and how he operates, then suddenly you can have hope for things beyond yourself even. And I think that that's like where I see this concept of spiritual problem solving, you could call it, or Holy Spirit problem solving, you know, that works out of the life of a believer into what I would call your metron or your sphere of influence or the world around you, what God's given you as a responsibility. And I, I really appreciate that about your ministry and what you do is this area of being intentional around spiritual problem solving. And it, biblically, you know, Ephesians 3.10 says that his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms. So by design, God's intending for us, his church, to have access to his wisdom, which means the many, various, multifaceted, all those definitions, uh, to really affect the realities of the world around us. You know, how do you, uh, how does this relate to what you do in life and in ministry? Because I know you're, you're sensitive to this area. I love that verse, the manifold wisdom. I think in the Greek, it's polykypros. And the best translation I've got for that is multicolored. Right, multicolored, yeah. Multicolored, yeah. And and also you said about it, it's a it's something that comes from the in, inside out. Yeah. Like Jesus in John four isn't says um, the the uh, that the the Holy Spirit will be like a river of living water rising up from the womb or from the bowels, you know, from the very depth of your being, right. rising up, leaping up. In fact, leaping for joy is the implication of the word uh, leaping up in it, in eternal life. And then John seven. He says, and then that water will flow forth from you like a river. So it's kind of a jumping up and a flowing forth. And uh, and then there's, um, I think maybe it's in one of Peter's epistles, God who made his light to shine out of darkness, made his light to shine out of our hearts. And I always thought that verse is interesting because it doesn't say, if I had written that verse, I would have said, God made his light to shine into our hearts. Interesting. But actually he doesn't say that. It says, God made his who made light to shine out of darkness, which is back to Genesis 1, made his light to shine out of our hearts. So it's, it's something that's happening within us, the life of the Father, Son, and Spirit within us, that same creative, joyful, loving energy that put the world together right back at the beginning of Genesis 1 and that John picks up in the prologue in the gospel in John 1. It's like that is... That's what's happening in us. And then from within, that's shining outwards. And that light, you know, we, we know that white light is a mixture of all other visible spectrums, you know, put together. So yeah, say fascinating. That, that the, the multicolored wisdom of God, it's um, the image is an image of a prism. You know, mm. white light shines through a prism and it refracts into a rainbow, a spectrum of, of different colors. And for me, that's 
that's about it's it's a question of perspective like we we get into complicated problems like there are some really complicated problems out there yeah uh, absolutely there are <laughs> and we we when seeking to engage with them a lot of the time i think there's a, a what i would call a heuristic problem a heuristic in the sense of how we how we a method we have of solving a problem like there's a heuristic problem in that people are asking questions they're getting answers to those questions and the answers don't work or they don't work in the way that they intend hmm. and then they get disillusioned and frustrated and alienated and, th- and this is a lot of the church i think is in this position and for me the issue is well you you have to redefine the question you you need to change the question that you're asking because you're going to get answers to the questions that you ask so the the questions that how you frame the question is going to have a big effect on what you're capable of being able to see right so for me a lot of this begins with what are the questions which led us down this route we need to redefine those questions and thinking back to the image of the, of the multicolored uh analogy it's like okay maybe you've been working on a blue question we need to shift that to an orange question hmm. it, it's not that the blue question is invalid it's that it's just not going to shine the right spectrum of light on this problem so we we need to flex and move between the multicolored wisdom of the holy spirit and we'll see things you know if i think if you've ever uh, what's that film um uh, i think is it national treasure with nicolas cage yeah 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 mm-hmm. you know i i think it's that film where they've got like a um like a secret map Mm-hmm. And it just looks like it's just a drawing. It doesn't mean anything. And then they get a special pair of glasses with different colored lenses, and they kind of put a red one down. And then, oh, when you're looking through the red lens, you see one part of the of the uh, of the code. And then you mm. put the blue one down; it goes purple. You see something else. And by switching the lenses, they end up seeing this kind of multi-layered, multicolored image. And uh, I think it's a lot like that for me. It's okay, Holy Spirit. I, however competent i may get in anything the very next thing i do i may be completely incompetent like mm. i might be totally at zero the very sure. next conversation i walk into i may confront something i've never seen before never heard before and have absolutely no idea what to do with that could happen to me at any moment and it's happened to me many many times <laughs> and every time it happens i do the same thing is internally in my head i say holy spirit i need a word of wisdom now right and such so, and something always comes and it usually redefines the nature of the question for me mm. and then it's like ah oh, okay we've redefined we've redefined what we're asking now we're going to see something different so that's kind of the 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 process for me is that sort of um dialoguing process with the holy spirit and with others as well not just as an individual but right. doing that in team is the best way uh and kind of bouncing that around and sooner or later something sparks and like, ah the yellow lights working or the blue <laughs> lights working you know uh, if i can if i can stick with the analogy yeah yeah i like to always remind people you know that in this framework that we're talking about here about how god operates and the wisdom that's available to us as believers essentially is telling us that every natural problem has a spiritually informed solution that's available in god nothing's outside of the bounds you know I really believe God is extremely practical and that he cares about the lived realities of people and of nations. Like he really wants to input through us to help people. Cause like we were talking about God is love and that's a manifestation of his love is his giving of wisdom to bless people. And it's always in, his intentions are always good towards people. 
And, you know, it seems like a bit of a high concept to people who might be listening to us talk about this, but, you know, it's, it's actually day to day. It's, it's actually a simple lifestyle practice, but I really do believe it's predicated on an effective lifestyle of hope that generating power, because you got to be able to believe for it personally in your own life before you can really believe for it and activate on it outwardly. You got to start small. So, you know, as we're talking about this, what people might call a high concept, you know, what does this boil down to? Like in a, do you have a practical example? Because I know you do, you depend on this a lot in your professional life. You're looking for ways to solve problems in the world. And I know that expresses itself through your work at Oxford House and other places. But can you give us an example or an illustration of how this has worked out in your life? So let me, let me give a, Try, let me try and give a couple of quick examples sure. to cover different things. So one, one that comes to mind was, a, it's a ministry example, but maybe it's relatable. A friend of mine in, in, in our city in Bristol, there are, uh, I live in Bristol in the UK, Southwest, yeah. <laughs> beautiful city, come visit. Um, well, actually, we, we live just on the coast outside now, but it's still in the Bristol, greater Bristol area. Um, a friend of mine, he was really trying to connect and reach out to um one of the Muslim communities in, in, the, in the city. We've got a lot of immigrant communities and they tend to kind of be in their own sort of sections of the city. Right. He was trying to do it and he really wasn't getting very far. And he, he said to me, could you come with me one time? I'm, I'm going and hanging out in these cafes and I'm trying to just connect with people and I'm finding it really difficult. And I feel like if I could just hear the voice of God, it would be a lot easier, but I feel like I, I don't really know what I'm doing. So I went with him one time and we, we were sitting in this cafe and he was just trying to talk to this guy and kind of connect and engage with them. And anyway, we were there for a while and we went off and he asked me, Mark, and he said, well, what did you, what did you think? And, you know, did you pick anything up? And I said, okay, so here's what I saw. So as soon as we walked in the door, the owner of the cafe, immediately his body language told me that he's suspicious of you and me. So of us, but especially you, he's seen you before. (laughs) He's suspicious of you immediately. He's something about him is defensive. And that, that characterized the, the atmosphere of your life of everyone who was hanging around in that cafe you're trying to engage with. And some people came up to him and were kind of trying to argue with him, like, he's a Christian, we want to argue with him, and, and they're, they're taught in the mosques how to argue with Christians. So right. they were just repeating what they'd heard. And, you know, it was very, very shallow and unproductive kind of conversation. And I said to him, here's the situation from my perspective. Um, they don't trust you they're suspicious of you. And at best, they're trying to score a hit off of you in an argument. Unless you can get past that, you can never make any connection with that. So I said, I would ask the Holy Spirit, what can I do differently when I walk in that, in that cafe that will get past that obstacle? So he said, okay. And then we, we, we went our separate ways. And two weeks later, he got back in touch with me and said, well, I said, I, I, I did what you suggested. I asked the Holy Spirit and I, I suddenly got the idea that I should go and buy a pot plant and go and give it to the owner of the, of the, the cafe. So that's what he did. He, he bought a, a shrub or something, I don't know, peace lily, whatever, he takes it down. <laughs> and he tells me, he said, I, I went in there, I gave it to the, the shopkeeper and immediately he changed. Straight away, his whole demeanor changed. Hmm. He said, since then, the whole atmosphere and the, the conversation, everything that's hap- that happens when I go down to this shop, which was a kind of hangout for, I mean, the men go to the shop, right. women don't go. It's like a, a men's hangout in the uh, mostly Somalian community, like Muslim Somalian community. Um, 
And uh, he said, they, um, you know, now, now it's totally different. We're getting some great conversations and really connecting. And he said, and then I went down a few days later and one of the other regulars said to me, oh, he said, I saw you brought in the plant for, you know, Muhammad the, the other day. He, and he said, yeah, he said, you know, he said, I thought it was a very Muslim thing for you to do. He said to, he said to him. <laughs> and, you know, that was very, it was kind of very high praise from him. Yeah, it was right. Very Muslim thing. And it, it, it just totally, it, it was a, uh, it was something he'd ne- he'd never thought of or, or considered, but it, it just it brought the walls down in that situation. Sure. And and I um, you know, I'll give you another one from I'd upset a friend of mine uh, years ago. This was, and this is another one that comes to mind. I'd upset him. Not I don't actually think I'd really done anything wrong, but I'd maybe been a bit insensitive, mm. and I'd upset him anyway. And. I kind of knew I probably had upset him, but I thought, oh, we'll get a chance to smooth it out. It's not a problem. And um, I went into church one day and he was there. And as soon as I saw him, I could tell he was really ticked off at me. Like, so I thought, oh, and I thought, like, he's, he's ticked off. I, I know he, he, he would say himself, he has a tendency to stew on things a bit, you know. <laughs> so um, I said, rather than go up and talk to him, I said, Holy Spirit, I said, what's your, what's your wisdom here? And um, again, I just felt the prompt, just go make the guy a cup of tea. So I went and made him a cup of tea. You know how British people like tea, right? So I made him a cup of tea. I took him up to a tea. As soon as I gave it to him, he said, oh, he said, oh, thank you. I said, you're welcome. And he said, you you know, I'm really angry at you. I said, (laughs) yeah, I I thought so. And he said, and you know that bringing me a cup of tea was exactly the one thing that would just make, make that stop. Right? <laughs> and he laughed. And I said, well, I said, I didn't know, but I did ask the Holy Spirit. And that's what the Holy Spirit said to me. Said, yeah. The Holy Spirit is very smart. I said, yes. <laughs> but that was, there was like a, 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 the, the problem that kind of um, diffused before it even be- became a thing. And um, really that, that same kind of question and answer, word of wisdom thing, I'm, when I'm dealing with a complicated problem, like yeah. uh, one with serious ramifications you know right then uh maybe there are many more layers and many more stakeholders and different pieces of the puzzle that that are involved but basically it's the same process okay holy spirit what 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 can you show me about this that i've not thought of how can i look at this or what can i say or do or uh what what's the angle that changes the nature of this equation um, so that we we get a different outcome, and that is um, that's something that. So my, my wife and I we started doing that. Um, we we started saying, oh, what happens if we be, we begin to take this out to organisations, hmm. not not church organisations, you know, their businesses or charities. Right. If we go in and actually use this kind of listening process to come in with a with a different angle and see what happens, and. We had some amazing stuff happen with that and how the Holy Spirit speaks so directly into organizational cultures, um, highlights, okay, you know what, there's this, th- th- there's this issue here that you guys have been trying to sort out and here's a different way to think about that problem. It's like, ah, there it is. There's the, there's the answer. It's right there. Um, so it, it, it makes us look really smart, but really we're just good at asking questions. Right. <laughs> and listening to the right input, right? <laughs> right, right. And, and sometimes that listening is a, not always a sort of binary process of you, because I, I think, I, I, don't know, I don't know about you, but I've heard lots of people talk about, well, I heard God say this, I heard God say that. And 
you, you're often never really sure exactly what they mean. Like, do you mean you heard a voice in your head? Did you have a sense? Did you suddenly think of something and it felt good? Or like, what, what does it mean? You know, for me, it's mostly, it's, it's like the lights coming on, you know, God made his light right. to shine out of our hearts. It's mostly like, ah, oh, the lights come on inside. And there's, there's something I'm, I'm now conscious of or seeing or, or sensing in a way that I wasn't before. And it's there and it, it doesn't feel very spectacular. It feels really subtle. Like sure. God I found is very, very subtle. Yeah. Uh, it's not showy actually. He's, he's very subtle. Um, and that's a, that's a good thing to remember because again, you, when you tell the stories, a lot of the time the stories when they come from the pulpit or the, the video feed, it's the sort of, um, it's the showy bit of the of the of the story that gets told because that's easy to communicate, you know. And don't think people are doing anything nefarious about with right. that. It's just when you're telling the story, you're telling the highlights, you know. But the, it's like the Bible. The Bible tells you all these highlights of like Abraham's life. He hears God. He hears God. There's no indication that he's hearing God every day. Right. Actually, it may be that he only heard him like five times in his whole long life, you know. But <laughs> it's those are the bits that we hear in the story. Um, so I think sometimes it can we can talk like this and it can feel really inaccessible for people because it's a bit like wow that's um, how would I even begin to do that and and I think that one of the things I often say to people is look I I I like to go into crazy places like I, I like to hang out off the beaten track you know I um I, I've hung out like I, I infiltrated the Jehovah's Witnesses for a while I was hanging out there that was interesting <laughs> um, hung out with a with the Rastafarians, who when I was in the city center ministry, um, uh, the New Ages, Buddhist healing center, um, the, my Muslim refugee friends, I mean, whoever, I, I just like to really get out of the Christian bubble because I'm wanting to see and find Jesus where he, where he's not air quotes supposed to be. So, um, th but that's what I like to do. Now, that's not everybody, they don't right. have to do that. It's like, you've got to find your way and know what what gives you life and what sparks hope within you and like and that excitement of oh yeah that would be cool that would be fun to do um and some people are are great with like hundreds of people and some people it's just one or two or you know they, they've got the thing and and it's all it doesn't matter it's, it's what what works for you um but i think that the it's the same holy spirit and that same idea of, of changing the question that works whatever environment you're going into, uh, whatever field you're operating in. Right. And I, I think this gives hope to people as well, because speaking of hope, it almost comes full circle because you can go into any difficult situation or environment. That might be your workplace. That might be opening the door to be in your family in the morning. If you're in a really dis difficult family situation, that might be uh, working with your political party, whatever it is, you can enter that door, so to speak, enter that space confident and with hope that God's going to speak to you, that he's promised you access to the manifold wisdom of God, and that he intends to manage your space, to, to influence and manage through you for his kingdom. And he's given you a means to do that. That's the thing I love about this is he's not telling you, well, I hope this works out for you. <laughs> like He's saying, no, there is a there's a rationale behind your hope because I'm giving you access to this. I'm walking with you in that. And I'm always coaching and mentoring people about managing their metrons and really uh, they're, all of their spaces sound about as crazy as the things you're describing. Like at some of these workplaces, the uh, challenges they have in life, every single one of them is dark, broken, challenged. There's edges in it. There's unknown spaces. And all of them are either by choice stepping into things or 
kind of forced into it by the nature of life. So the thing I love about what you're sharing is that we're giving people a tool of hope. It's like a compounding effect in knowing that God's with them. He's going to speak to them. This is available. And that when we are talking about this idea of that I always do with managing your Metron, this is how it gets done. It's not that you're awesome. It's that he's awesome and he's able to work in and through you. So I think this is really uh, spiritually reinforcing and in itself can give people hope, which is uh, what was really on my heart, you know, as we talked previously but, you know, with that in mind and people going into the day-to-day, into the things they're called to, into new places, uh, whatever the challenge is, what would you say to people? Like, how would, you, uh, how would you give them some guidance as they step into this? Maybe say this is new for them. Like, what's the bit of wisdom, the thing they can hold on to moving forward? See, now I'm asking the Holy Spirit for a word of wisdom. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> um. One thing uh, I mentioned about this multicolored thing, you know, the multicolored wisdom of God, it was a really big transition for me to realize that God is not black and white, actually. Mm. I'd often thought very much in those kind of terms, like things are just black and white. They're absolutes, you know. Um, And I realized actually the scripture says it's multicolored, not black and white. Um, And the closest we get to a statement like that is when it says the son of God, Jesus is not yes and no in him. It's always yes. So he's always on, right? He's, he's always yes. And then it says, and through us, the amen is spoken, which is agreement. So it's like, what's our part? Our part is just to agree. We, 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 um, I I sometimes say to people that the only thing we really have to offer God in that sense is our resistance. Hmm. So just stop resisting, like get, get with the program, <laughs> stop resisting. Um, but also um, I think we can, we can get caught up in really trying to accomplish things. And a lot of the time, you know, most of the things that I have tried to do either haven't worked or they've definitely not worked in the way I expected them to, hmm. but God still turned up and did something different and it led to something else. Right. And that's sort of what I also mean about, about the father, son and spirit being really subtle. You know, they, um, th- that often what, what they're doing is holy, right? It's holy. It's, it's higher than what we can get our heads around. They're, they're tracking on another level and they sort of, um, they work with us, whatever, whatever's going on, but actually the real main event may be what's happening in the side. It may not be what's happening on the stage, right. p- the proverbial stage. It may be what's happening in the, in the corner of the room or around the table or just outside or, or in the bathroom. Maybe, it's, maybe what's happening there is the real main event. We, we don't actually see that. We see, uh, thinking about, you know, Samuel, this is God, uh, man looks on external appearance, but God looks on the heart. Maybe that's, Maybe there's a better scripture for what I'm trying sure. to say, but it's this idea of, um, I think what we used to think in this very linear black and white way about what needs to happen and how things work. And my experience is this, the stuff that has really worked has, you know, the, it, it's been that the, the kiss of God has come on it. And, you know, we, um, Jesus is always, yes, we stay in, in that place of agreement with him, but not to, not to put too much, weight upon the, the outcomes as we think they should be. Hmm. That, that frees us again from this pressure. Right. Like, um, I, I think that, that one, Jesus says, you know, um, uh, which of you by worrying can add a single inch to your height. Right. So I, I like to paraphrase, paraphrase that as 
Your, all of your worried, anxiety-driven efforts to grow yourself up can't add a single inch to your height. Like you, you can't do it, you know, right. or lengthen your life is the other, the other translation for it, you know. But um, you, you can't attain to or become something by being driven by strife, anxiety, and worry. Mm-hmm. Um, God gives the increase. We, we get to participate and we get to, but we get to participate not because he needs workers, but because the Father, Son, and Spirit like us to participate. They want us to share in their life. And so that's why they make room for us to do that when, to be honest, Jesus could just snap his fingers and solve the problem. You know? so, right. um, if, if it were really so goal-oriented, I, I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Um, you know, I think in the Western world, especially, we can be very goal and outcome oriented. Sure. And I, I'm much less goal and outcome oriented. Here's the scripture, actually. The Apostle Paul says this, each one should take care how he builds. Mm. Uh, he doesn't say take care what you build. Mm. He says take yeah. care how you build. Good. And what you build, that's, that's the outcome. That's an outcome focus. How you build, that's what material are you using? Is it wood, hay, and straw? Is it gold, silver, and precious stones? I mean, wood is actually quite good for building a building. You mm. can actually get something to stand up and it can serve a function if it's wood. The problem is it just doesn't last. Um, when he's talking about gold, silver, and precious stones, he's talking about things that are indestructible and also right. can, can can build something. But it's how how you build. So I would encourage um, I encourage myself regularly. Encourage myself. Have to remind myself. You know, Martin Luther said we have to hear the gospel every day because we forget it every day. <laughs> so I, I encourage myself w- with this quite a lot. That you know, actually, um, I'm not I'm not wedded to any particular outcomes. Right. I just want to be present in the moment with what the Father, Son, and Spirit are doing now, and let's participate and get on board with that, And w- which isn't to say I don't have a future focus, but it's to say that I've got no control over the future. Um, I get to participate now. Yep. And how, how do I do that? It's, can I see Christ in you? Like Mother Teresa used to say when her, her team would come back from ministering to the poor, you know, on the streets of Calcutta, she would always used to say to them, did you meet Jesus today? Hmm. And what she meant was, "We did, did you meet Jesus and the people who you were going to serve? Hmm. Like that was the one question. And I love that question because for me, it's like, I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to meet Jesus right. and bear witness to him. And then maybe in a small way, I might reflect that to the people I'm with and, and I get to work with and the things we do collaboratively or, or I'm ministering to, or we're discussing whatever it might be right. in a small way, maybe that is something that is going to reflect to them this witness of, yeah, I'm, I'm Jesus. Here I am. I'm the one who's holding the very atoms in your body together. I formed you in your mother's womb. I've got a good purpose for your life. I'm, I've been the one who's working and steering and healing and, you know, bringing all this stuff out for you. Um, I'm for you. I'm not against you. Um, the cross has said the final word on that. And I'm trying to introduce myself to you right now so that you can know me and you can get with the program, yeah. you know, and, and maybe somehow uh, we can, or I, I can be a small part of that in a person's story or in, in a group of people's story. But, um, you know, I, I, I feel like it's, for me, it's the one thing. I'm, I'm just trying to see Jesus, um, trying, to, trying to look more clearly, like see more clearly. Um, and, and for me, that, that is a, a, a big paradigm shift was realizing it's not black and white. Mm. 
Mm. That's what I was trying to say. Yeah. Um, it's very much like I, I, I used to think I'm, I used to think it was all about getting the right answers until I read that verse of scripture that says, the one who thinks he knows something doesn't yet know as he ought to know. Yeah. But the one who loves God is known by God. And I thought, my goodness, I've spent so much of my life and my ministry and my career trying to be as proficient in what I know as I can, you know, trying mm. to accumulate knowledge, accumulate experience, uh, processes, solutions, you know, whatever it might be. But as soon as I think I know it, the Bible has told me I don't know it. Mm. As soon as I think I've got there, that's the very moment when I no longer know it. And what does it say? It shifts it all in its head. Is But the one who loves God is known by God. So I started to pray, Father God, what would life look like for me if instead of me trying to do everything based on what I know, I know how to pray for the sick. I know how to run this kind of an organization, or I know how to speak Chinese or whatever. Right. What happens if rather than that, I started living life based on the fact that you know me. And that was my prayer. Hmm. I just started praying that, okay, Father God, you know me. I don't really understand what that looks like, but it feels like you're really on that. So I'm going to let go of let go of the need to have my certainties altogether before I can do anything or even to have them at all. Hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm going to let go of that and allow you to be the one who's holding on to me. You know me. If, if I know you, I, ne I can never know you like you know me. Like you know <laughs> me, right? So uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live life based on that, which how does that manifest? Well, things like if, if I'm in the room, I must be the right person to be there. Yeah, that's, that's one right. of the things that I think, you know, I'm like, well, I wouldn't actually have ended up in this room if I wasn't the right person to be here. Doesn't necessarily mean I'm the right person to lead what's happening in the room. Sure. But I'm the right person for some, for some reason, for, for something. Or sometimes <laughs> we'd have like people coming for, for counseling, you know, really major issues would come up and that. And the first thing that would go through my head was like, I'm not qualified to deal with that. And, and sometimes that's true. Um, but that doesn't, but actually I'm like, but in, right now in the here and now, I'm the right person for this moment because there's grace according to the need of the moment. And I can give that. And it may not change everything about the situation, but it may change a little bit. It may be a piece of the puzzle. So yeah. I, I, I maintain that posture. But if that was based on what do I know, I'd, be, I'd have lost before I'd even started <laughs> because nine out of 10 of the situations I go into, I'm frank, or more probably, um, I don't even have the pretense of knowing. Like it's a total unknown. <laughs> what's going to happen? What's going on? I don't know. But God knows me in every situation. And he knows that situation too, because he's already was there long before I was there. Like I used to think I was taking Jesus to people. And then I realized <laughs> actually he's taking me to be with to be with him where he is. Right. Remember that verse, you know, he says, I go to prepare a place for you yep. so that you can be with me where I am. And we often interpret that as being about heaven. And maybe it is about the kingdom of heaven, which is at hand, you know, right yeah. here, right now, you know. So it's like, okay, Jesus, you're with you, you, you're there in that cafe with those Muslim guys who are suspicious of us. And you've prepared a place so that I can go and be with you where you are. So when I walk in that room, you you prepared a, you prepared a place for me to be, and it's here. And that place is a spiritual place as well as a physical place. Right. So Jesus, help me find my place. And I think uh, the, 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 the little I've got to know about your ministry and, and um, your organization and, the, and helping people to really grow into and inhabit their metron, I think, I think that's, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's the kind of thing that you're, exactly you're talking it. about there. Exactly yeah. it. Yeah, what you're describing 
is, you know, gets back to a lot of questions people ask is like, well, what's in my Metron? I'm like, well, look around you. Hmm. <laughs> if you can see it and what you're sharing about, you know, how you got there, that would also be like, well, do I have a, a right or a responsibility or commission to do anything about this? Well, yes, but it's because you're there with Jesus and uh, you're doing this together. And I think it just gives people a lot of peace and confidence the way you're sharing this and approaching it about, you know, what I call managing your Metron, because you're knowing that it's not your, you're not orchestrating it. You may not be the best person for the position. You may not have even really a right in the natural sense to be there, but God put you there and he's got what it takes for you to manage, to do what he wants you to do on site and in that scene. And I think it's really liberating and encouraging to hear that from you as well. You, you remind me, I don't, I don't know, do you, would you by chance um, know Rod Williams? I don't think I do. Don't know Rod. Um, he's uh, he's a good, good friend of mine. I was just out with them. Um, uh, we were just out doing a conference in in Tennessee, actually. In he was there. We ended up spending the day together. He took me around Nashville. I've never been there okay. before. But um, I was, you know, I was getting to know a bit more about his history. And um, uh, he he used he told me he used to work um, as a software like a troubleshooter a consultant for Apple okay. and Cisco Systems. You know these big big tech companies. And he was talking about that just in that same way you were saying, he was mm. talking about that to me. And he said, you know, um, really said, I didn't know about these, all these different, or every piece of software is so complicated. I didn't know the software, you know, <laughs> um, but they would call me in and he said, I, I would just, I would just keep asking questions to the team until the answer sort of materialized. So it's like just having that Holy Spirit inspired question answer thing as mm. well. And he laughed and he said, I think the reason, the reason I kept getting those jobs is because the stakes were so high on these security things. I mean, it was like major infrastructure stuff, you know, and after 9-11 as mm -hmm. well, and all of these things, like it's pretty hardcore. And he said, but, um, but I just had the peace of God. A peace would just come over me. So that the peace of God would come over me and I just wouldn't be intimidated by the nature of the problem. She said, whereas most people would just leave, leave the room. It's <laughs> like, no, that's too big a deal. I can't even get my head around that. I'm getting palpitations just thinking about the problem. It's like, well, I, I just didn't. I had, I had peace. And then that, that's why they kept inviting me back, you know? That's great. <laughs> and, I, and, and I love that. Um, it's just such a beautiful simplicity of it. And it makes me think, I wonder if that's what Daniel was like, you know, in, with Nebuchadnezzar mm -hmm. in, in, in the book of Daniel, you know, when he ends up being the head of the Babylonian occult society, you know, <laughs> the enchanters and the mystics that, that he, has to, he has to know their stuff better than they know it in order to, in order to run the department, you know? <laughs> I just wonder if he's like, if he was just so not, so not phased by what was yeah. going on around him. He just was, had that, that peace that was guarding his heart. Um, yeah. And it meant that whereas all the enchanters, they freaked and they ran, nobody can interpret a dream like that, you know, right. King Nebuchadnezzar. And he was like, yeah, he's, of course no one can do it, but you know, I know God, he can do it. So last one in the room. <laughs> so. Right, right. Yeah. Sometimes that's it, isn't it? It's yeah. really, you're, 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 you're the, part of the solution because you're really the last one in the room. That's Everyone right. Walked. Like, That's you, right. It's not like you're the first person who got asked. It's that everybody else has gone already. <laughs> That's <laughs> about all right, right. We'll try you then. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good thing. God's as big as he is, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, this has been really valuable. Thanks so much, Paul, for investing in this audience and in the program and really value your insights and your ministry and look forward to hearing back from you again in the future. Th thanks, Jonathan. Uh, can I uh, do a little plug? Please do. What I've been really compelled by is this feeling like the, the 
a what I call like a Christian public philosophy, like the um, a a voice that's speaking philosophically and prophetically into the culture mm. in the West is really absent. Wow. Um, there, there are voices that are f- like future prophetic voices who are who've written um, something like where are we going in a hundred years from now, two hundred years mm. from now, th- these sorts of things, and they've written some great stuff, but um, really insightful and really with a desire to want to help people. But most of them are writing from a very atheistic kind of position, you mm. know, quite a hopeless position right. in, in many instances too. And they're, they're, they're not bad people. They're just working with what they know. And in the midst of that space, there's, there's very little of a, a very, well, there's no, as far as I can see, voice that's participating in that kind of environment, in, in that kind of public sphere in that way. Um, I'm not talking about like Christian apologetics and things like that. I'm talking about what we're discussing, but really um, engaging with them, um, with with what's going on, the very major changes, monumental changes that are, our world is currently going sure. through. Um, and I really felt like I um, I wanted to to try and reach into that that space mm. and write for those people um, and participate in the conversation there. Um, but I realized I was, um, it, it, I, I write when I've got deadlines and, you know, we were joking <laughs> kind of before I've, I've got a deadline. I was supposed to publish something last week and I've still been p- tweaking it and playing around with it this week. But um, generally speaking, if I've got deadlines, if they're hard deadlines, I always meet them, you know. So w- what I did is I, at the beginning of this year, I thought, well, I kind of just need to, I need to find a way that, um, that makes it possible and makes it work for me to write, to, to, to aim at trying to throw something into that kind of space. And um, so I, uh, I set up, um, I'm, I'm revamping our website at the moment, which is championsofhope.co.uk. It's very out of date because it is, but anyway, it's being revamped and <laughs> redoing the social media and all these things at the moment. But also I'm, I'm up on Patreon um, and the, uh, the, the, the channel on Patreon is called Remaking the World. And I'm really trying to use that as a space to have have dialogue with people who who want to um, connect with the same kind of topics. Like mm. I'm, I'm about to record one on the um, uh, the, the Lambda uh, case this last week. You know, the Google employee who got um, summarily dismissed because he claimed that the Lambda AI has become sentient. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, um, yeah really interesting. And if you if you go and read the transcript of the conversation he he released about it, it's uh, <laughs> it's it's quite it's quite interesting. It was fascinating. I, yeah, yeah. But I but so I I wanted to. That's my topic. That's kind of coming up this weekend. You know that, that I'm putting up on there. But anyway, um, I'm really bad at plugging these sorts of things. So I, I felt like I I ought to. Um, I also get better at doing that and use the opportunity <laughs> to say something. So, so thank you for letting me do yeah, that. Yeah, sure. No worries. No worries. We'll look for it. Yeah. We'll encourage everyone to look for it. Well, it's been fantastic, man. Thanks for your time and all the effort on this. It's great to talk and process this stuff. It's really yeah, encouraging. My pleasure. My pleasure. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Metron Manager Podcast presented by Jonathan Nowlin and the Metron Manager Project. Remember, God has given you permission and a commission to work. Learn more at metronmanager.com. <laughs>